you're a parent, a student, or a staff member that takes Northern Nevada high school sports seriously. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing. This is the Battleborn Preps Podcast. If it's high school sports in Northern Nevada, we're not only talking about it, we're right in the middle of it. News and information you can trust. Let's do this. This is the Battleborn Preps Podcast. And now your host, Michael Reeves. Good evening, everybody. I'm your host, Michael Reeves. And without further ado, we're going to get started today with a very special episode, continuing our countdown to kick off. But this one's a little different than our team previews. Today, we have the executive director of the NIAA or NIAA, Donnie Nelson. He is going to be covering a multitude of topics as we got to sit down with him just yesterday and discuss multiple topics that are hitting Northern Nevadan athletes and Nevadan athletes as a whole. So without further ado, we're going to get into that interview. And uh, after that, that is going to be our episode for today. So we hope you join us as the Spanish Spring Cougars will be coming up later this weekend. And we will also have the Reed Raiders coming up, followed by the Tigers and many more teams. We're just getting started here with our Countdown to Kickoff series, but cannot wait to get all the teams in and get ready for kickoff on August 12th. Without further ado, Donnie Nelson. So I'm here with Donnie Nelson, the director of the NIAA. How does that feel, first of all, to to have that title? And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, because a lot of people know the name Donnie Nelson, but they don't know the story. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Well, first of all, I want to thank you and uh, what, you, what you do for coverage of Nevada high school sports and Battleborn Preps. You know, you are the resource that's local and schools turn to. Now they see the publications and they appreciate the, the coverage and, you know, promoting our schools and our teams and our student athletes. That's what it's all about. Uh, yeah, th- this is quite an honor and it's humbling to be the fifth executive director of the Nevada Interscholastic Activities Association. You know, we are a nonprofit organization. We are education-based athletics and activities, and so I take all that uh, with, with great importance and uh, trying to, what I would call, honor the legacy, uh, but continue to build the brand. Now, the NIA is not a brand, but we do have a logo, and we are an organization, and we are an association of 123-member schools. So when I say honor the legacy, it's all that has come before the current student-athletes and all the student-athletes that will you know, be in the future, and what we're doing in the here and now to show we've had a, a great legacy of high school athletics and activities in the Silver State, but we're moving forward too. And we want to create new and special opportunities for the future student athletes. And so the current group of student athletes, especially what they've been through for the last couple of years that, that still exist uh, in organizations that haven't graduated, they've been through a lot. And they're really setting a precedent for what's to come in the future. Uh, for me personally, this is uh, 24 and a half years in being involved in the NIA directly, continuously. Started out as an assistant director back in April of 1998 and uh, had the opportunity to serve as the interim executive director from January to June in 2015. So that was my first foray into being the executive director. And then upon the retirement of Bart Thompson, our fourth executive director, uh, I then had the honor and privilege of being the interim executive director by title last year. And now the official title is just executive director with the interim having been dropped off. Uh, I am a University of Nevada and I'll put in there Reno. For those of you know, be people that might hear this as well, but I am a, a University of Nevada Reno graduate. So I was a student athlete here 
And so when I came to from high school in the Bay Area, California, and I, in essence, haven't really left. There was a kind of little time where right after I graduated from uh, from UNR that I went back to uh, to Oregon for a little while and, and worked up at the University of Oregon there and worked at a newspaper there. But my, my first love has always been high school athletics and activities. That goes back to my father. I, w- I was born and raised in a high school gym. He was an athletic director and a basketball coach at the same school in the Bay Area for 37 and a half years. Uh, that's incredible. We don't, we don't see people staying in high schools, the same high school, that long, let alone staying in the education world for that long anymore. Uh, so so I was, this is very natural to me to be involved in high school sports. It was natural for me when I first started the job, thanks to Dr. Jerry Hughes, who hired me and took a, took a leap of faith and said, Donnie, I'm going to give you a tabula rasa. I'm going to give you a blank slate. What do you want to do with this job? Because you seem to fit what, what we want to do in the future. And that was back in April of 1998. And, you know, thanks to Dr. Hughes, I've been able to create a lot of different things in our state. And now with the executive director role, it's more facilitating the rules and regulations of the association. So my transition out of being a tournament director and working with the media and corporate partnerships uh, now is transitioned to working directly with principals more so than you know athletic directors and secretaries although again the administrative side of there we, we communicate day in and day out but uh to kind of go through through that michael this, this feels very natural to be in this role now uh, i feel like i've advanced in here the, the right way to, to do it and we have a lot of incredible people uh again not just in the school building but you know, we'll talk later about officials and coaches and parents and guardians and everybody that has a, a, is a stakeholder in Nevada high school sports. And I'm very proud to be the leader uh, of all those groups. Now you talk about your history a little bit, but um, we talk about how you were an interim athletic or er, the interim director rather in 2015, but you were the interim director as recently as last year. Um, Bart Thompson stepped down. You kind of were intern for a while, and then you were named the head guy. Uh, what has that transition been like? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I was in a position that it, during the most unique time in our state, and that's because of coming out of the pandemic and trying to find ways and means for our schools to be able to participate again. So the transition has been a little bit muddled uh, in terms of what would be a normal transition. You know, you think about the job duties of the executive director and the relationships between different groups uh, and enforcing the rules and regulations of the association to make sure that all 123 schools are, on essence, a level playing field. And that goes into a realignment, <clears throat> the rubric process. I know we'll talk about that a little later as well. So this transition hasn't been normal. Uh, what I really dealt with last year, even though we were playing, um, we, we still had our NIA guidance one in place all the way until February 27th. That was all the way through the last day of the state basketball tournament. Where we've come from February 28th to today is remarkable. And getting through the previous spring season, basically uninhibited, um, free-flown and what we were able to, to do and play. But in my first you know, six months officially, I guess, as the interim executive director, uh, that was not normal. And it wasn't normal for families and trying to just make a living. It wasn't normal for people in their daily lives. Um, so if I were to try and tell somebody what, what the transition period has been, I would say, honestly, I don't know what it really was. We just found our way through it. And it was working with the different groups around the state at all different levels to find ways to provide opportunities for student athletes to go and participate. And, and that was special to be able to be that person and in essence, I use this expression because some people recognize it from the, you know, the, the play Hamilton of being in the room when it happened. 
uh, I'm honored that I got the opportunity to lead this organization like every other education-based organization and how we transition through uh, that. So the transition, because of the inherent support that we receive from many different groups, including, including family and friends, uh, it was a smooth transition because people knew we were headed in the right direction from day one. It was just a question of when are we going to get there? It wasn't a question of how we were going to get there. It was just a question of when we were going to get there and the things we were doing to ex expedite the process, while at the same time making sure that the opportunities we were providing for our student-athletes, that they were still safe and secure. Again, we weren't trying to justify anything that wasn't uh, within the proper means of state protocols to make sure that our student-athletes were exposed to something they weren't supposed to be and trying to keep them uh, you know, within the framework of, of life opportunities, you know, the benefits that we all know about in participating and what it does inherent values of teamwork and dedication and responsibility, integrity and honors and sportsmanship. So all those were that are normal duties exec director, they were just tied into a different parallel path is what I would say. This kind of could be two-pronged. Um, on a normal year, handling all those personalities, and then previously with the pandemic and COVID and all those um, different aspects to it, how was it handling the likes of the school district in Washoe County, Clark County, uh, the, the state government officials that you had to deal with, and obviously you had to deal with multitude of personalities. How was that? Yeah, I, the very first thing to say is that we had everybody on the same proverbial page in terms of knowing where we needed to get to at the end game, and that was at February 27th end date when our NIA Guidance 1 or Directive 48 was basically exhausted uh, on that time. But along that process, I, I hope that people understand everybody working out of the governor's office, uh, the superintendents of, of our 17 public school districts, and of course that includes the headmasters of private schools and charter school presidents as well, uh, working through our school personnel, from our principals to our athletic administrators, athletic directors, through our coaches, and really even to our officials, everybody was on the same proverbial page as to where we needed to get to, just a question of how we needed to get to. And I am beyond thankful that all these different groups and all these different individuals associated with those groups really understood the value of high school sports. And they gave us a seat at the table, all these groups. We were fortunate. I, I feel that the NIA is prominent in our Nevada society. You know, you think about what schools represent, and they're really the fundamental holder of a community. You know, there are school communities, obviously, in the Reno Sparks area. We have many different school communities, but the schools have a mega presence in their area. And what we learned through the entire pandemic is that high school sports is valued and probably even valued more than maybe we would have all understood. Um, it wasn't like, well, the NIA is this other organization like any other group. It wasn't. We were treated very specially. Uh, we were treated separate and apart from clubs, uh, from other even nonprofit organizations, uh, and either probably even some other professional organizations. And that's not to say right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, the NIA is more special than anybody else. It, it, it's not to say that. It's just to say that we are extremely valued and more so than I would ever guessed. And the attention that people pay to our organization and listening to us, listening to the NIA's office staff and listening to our board of control and listening to our member schools and listening to our superintendents and all that filtering up to the governor's office and having them give really due diligence to what we're all about uh, was, was remarkable. Like it, it, was a, it was a humbling experience to know that people really care about us and really support us. And I, I couldn't have been more thankful in that whole transition process through the pandemic.
We have uh, two questions, lastly, on the pandemic, um, but I think they, they kind of give you a different perspective because when, when I ask you the next question about how um, did you, when you're accounting for the pandemic, how did you handle the student-athlete side of things? Because you had, um, which is the same with the parents, but you had two different sides. You had a side that was you know, scared to get back to athletics and didn't know if they were going to be safe right away. And then you had a side that was like, I mentally need athletics. Um, you know, one of the interesting topics, and you may be able to touch on this in this question that I have found overwhelming. And it's actually, it's quite scary to be honest. I've asked every single student athlete that I've interviewed so far this year, what is the greatest challenge facing high school football athletes? so far and the overwhelming answer is mental health overwhelmingly they say they need more assistance in mental health they say that they're uh the pandemic hurt them they're saying that the pressures from uh playing athletics and balancing a job sometimes balancing uh you know relationships family things of that nature it's all um related to the pandemic it has hurt them a little bit so how did how did all that factor in because that's not an easy decision you've got regardless of whatever decision you make you're going to have one side ticked off at you um so how did you try to balance that and figure out what would be best for your student athletes Oh, uh, Michael, that's an incredibly loaded question, and, and you know, you and I would both agree that when we were high school student-athletes, we got to play for the love of the game and it was easy. There weren't external factors that we had to deal with. And mental health, not something that probably really people really talked about because we had fun. Not that we didn't work hard and learn the values that are inherent with participating in high school sports, but it was, I hate to say this, it was easy in our day. It just was. We just went out and played and didn't have to worry about all this kind of stuff. So, so then we go through a pandemic. And associated with that was, you know, what, what about we're wearing face coverings and then we've got a test to be able to play. And kids are involved or not involved. And parents, rightfully so, for their sons and daughters, they have to decide, is this right? You know, someone's, let, let's open the door and just go. What are we waiting for? And, you know, we had to balance that process out with, with many different uh, groups to figure out what was the right way to do it and what we could get approvals to do. And then we had other groups going, you know what? I'm gonna tell you honestly, you hear the people saying, let's just go play right now. We had just as many other people saying, don't play. We're not ready to send our sons and daughters back out there yet. And to go, oh boy, okay, where's the middle ground with all this? Well, the middle ground is it, the process was what the process was. And the many different stakeholders decided what the time frame was and what we had to do at every step along the way to get to you know the end game of February 27th. <clears throat> With that, it created a different dynamic for our students, right? Because we we're students athlete-centered. That's what we are. That's what the NIA is. We're a membership. We're an association of schools. But we're only here because of the student-athletes. We wouldn't exist. And so where are the student-athletes now in mental health? Um, we do hear about some of this stuff. What, what our school personnel are doing, our counselors, um, our medical personnel within districts, even our athletic directors, administrators, secretaries, and even coaches, especially the ones that are on campus, what they see day in and day out right now, the student is not the same as what the people saw when you and I went to school. Uh, we have some work to do, and we're not there yet. We're, not, we've, we've, we're actually just starting because I think in, in a large degree, everything that's come out of the pandemic, it's now starting to hit, just now. It's been that far delayed. We got through the spring season and everything looked all rosy. But we know that deep down, there's student athletes that are struggling and, and going, 
I don't know how to make sense of all this. Yeah, we're playing, but what does it really mean to me anymore? You know, what does it mean in my personal life? What does it mean with my relationship with my fellow students, with my relationship with my coaches, with my parents? What can I talk to them about and not talk about? And, and who can I talk to about what if I have struggles? Um, those are things that are very difficult within a household. So where we're headed, let's talk about that. Uh, for the first time in eight years, we're bringing back what's called a sports medicine advisory committee. And that is a group that not has to talk about not just regulations or policies that might enhance the safety of sport by sport, but also to talk about the overall greater good of mental health. And so that is coming. One of our and that, that first meeting of that group will most likely take place in mid-September. And it will be a robust agenda to talk about all kinds of different things, including uh, physical forms. Do we do we amend those? And do we amend those with questions that relate back to the pandemic and mental health? That, that that's gonna be very different to have that discussion with all of our doctors. We have sports officials and we have coaches who will be represented on that committee. Uh, we're also going to talk about concussion management. That, that's, a, that's a real big deal. Now, that's more football-driven than anything else, but there is concussion management when you come to other sports and what might happen. But one of the biggest ones is what kind of a mental health initiative are we going to go forward with? We need something to happen sooner than later. Uh, the National Federation of State High School Association. So that we have an umbrella organization that's over us. Every state has an association just like the NIA. We're all under the umbrella of a national federation. So there's 51 state associations on this umbrella. The national federation is also leading the charge going, okay, mental health, come out of the pandemic. We now get it. We've been delayed. I wish we would have thought about this a year ago going, hey, when we come out of the pandemic, we're going to have this program in place or something that student athletes and parents and guardians can turn to. A group, a group of people, an organ, another organization to figure out, have a place to go talk and have some guidance as to, you know what, if you've got this problem, we can help you. Let's follow a path towards this. We're, I, I almost feel ashamed in a minute. We're behind the curve on that, but we're going to catch up on it right away. So that is one of our absolute topic uh, agenda topics for a sports medicine advisory committee. And ultimately, that will go to our board of control in, in adopting a program. Uh, what that program will end up looking at? You know what? It is. It's, it's that blank slate right now. We want to create something that's special for Nevada, but also that also mirrors maybe what other state associations are, are producing. Um, it's going to take some time, but we're there. We recognize. I think the first step, right, is to recognize we have a problem, and now we've recognized it. Now we've got to identify how deep is this problem and exactly what are the components that our student-athletes are facing and how do we then address those components. So I think you'll see some action sooner than later, um, but it's going to take some time to really discover and do some fact-finding as to what we, what we have at our, at our disposal and where we need to go with it. We talked about mental health, and we talked about the pandemic from a student aspect. Now, I know as well as you do, because you and Jay and Lori and everybody here at the offices have told me over the years, parents have moments where they're always calling about a transfer, eligibility, some kind of rule issue. Parents are always calling the NIAA. But this past few years, you've, you've had to deal with also, as we've discussed, one parent that says, my kids need to play. This is a mental thing. We need to be out on the field. It, I grew up with it. It's going to help them. But you've got the other parent that goes, we don't know everything about the pandemic. We don't know if it's going to cause other family members in the household to be sick. You know, there is a multitude of things. Um, Do you want to speak on that as far as how it was dealing with parents versus students? Yeah, well, the first thing I want to say is to to that question, uh, Michael, that anybody who cares 
and anybody who's passionate uh, about their student athletes and participation, we, we appreciate that. We, we wouldn't be in this business if we didn't care for students. And sometimes thoughts, opinions are different and we can respect that. So I, I've always told everybody, anybody who cares and is passionate, we're going to give them their time as we want to do it. Now, there are many times when we need to refer a, a parent or even a student through the proper channels, right? There are some things that need to be handled at the school level. There are some things that need to be handled at the district level. And there are some things that need to be handled at the state level. So, so there are different, different aspects of that. Uh, where, where we're going to go in trying to balance that is, is figure out what – stay to our core, uh, core to our mission – we are about what's the greater good of the society of Nevada high school sports. What is maybe good for one or two may not be good for the overall majority. And that is the balancing act that we need to do, especially when you have challenges uh, in thought processes. And that's not, not, that's not easy. Um, but people understand that the NIA office as a staff, we're not dictators. We're actually facilitators. And so people kind of look at us going, well, you know, the, the NI does this, or why did the NI do that? Well, whenever there's something that happens, that the NI did this or did that, it's because we went through an extensive process that typically involves superintendents, school principals, athletic administrators, directors, coaches, officials. Um, there are a lot of stakeholders that sit at the table and make some decisions. And so people just, that's the main thing is just people understand that there are processes in place, and sometimes the processes for one situation are not the same as they are for another situation. There are times when it's easy for out of, off of my desk to say, yes, this goes, or no, this doesn't. But more, more often than not, uh, the case is that there's a process things go through. Now, I didn't have this question written down, but I think it's one that really popped into my head that's kind of unique to Nevada. I mean, I'm sure other states have similarities, but... Nevada has counties such as Esmeralda. Uh, doesn't have a high school. Doesn't doesn't have a high school, but you still have small counties where you're dealing with graduating classes still of twenty, and then you've got Clark County and Washoe County. You have to deal with a multitude of differences in sizes. How does that come into play when you're handling situations every day? Because you often don't have the ability to just throw a book at it and say one size fits all. Because you do have such a variety of, um, I'd not just say size, but personality. You're, you're going to tend to see the small town having a little bit different of an outlook than a Clark County. Yeah, yeah I, that is exactly why I love the state so much. And uh, since I... You know, enrolled in school here in 1994 and basically been here ever since because I, I love the culture, the environment, uh, the atmosphere of our state, the Silver State. It, it is inherently special. And, and I'm sure any other state association can say that about their state too. But there really is not another state association that has the diversity uh, from small communities and towns and rural areas to Basically, two and a half. I use I use Elko as a as a half of a huge metropolitan area because it's not you know Washington County and Clark County, and so the boy the just the attitudes and the personalities and the way people believe things uh, it's fascinating to bring it all together. And what I I think that our people are learning now in in our different communities, our different school communities about what I'm doing here, stepping in this office, is to really understand that maybe we do need to look at things just a little bit differently. Maybe there are things that are not the same. And if they're not the same, and, and I'm going to throw out something that's very controversial, and we're not even there yet, but you know, a transfer rule. Is it possible to have a transfer rule that's different 
between rural communities and metropolitan communities. Right now, it's like you mentioned, it's a one size fits all. Now, I'm not going to lead into anything. There, there, you know, what what might be in the works or not be in the works, and how do we look at things? But um, what I think our superintendents and our school leadership people will appreciate, and, and they're already hearing it from me now, and in this role that I get to take take the reins basically, and let's go, let's go race the horses, so to speak. Um, Committees. We're, we're bringing back committees. And we're not bringing back committees just to say, hey, we have a sports medicine advisory committee or a rules and regulations committee to look over things like the transfer rule and eligibility rules. Uh, the membership committee, that's going to be huge too. You know, we're, we're popping up with new schools and charter schools and how do they fit within the framework of, of a membership and how do they relate to private schools and how do private schools and charter schools relate to traditional public schools. There's a whole lot of different philosophies in the way those schools are operated. So there are a lot of different committees we're going to put together, but not just to have them, but to truly say to our superintendents and our, and our school leaders, look, we are listening to you, and finally we're going to have a chance now to get back and sit around a table and throw a whole bunch of stuff out there, and let's see what sticks. And then we have to go through processes eventually about getting through the Legislative uh, Council Bureau and, and proposing rules and regulations changes if we end up doing that. Uh, but but that, that's my biggest mission in this role now, again, about being a facilitator. And having people understand I'm not a dictator is to go, we, we recognize there are inherent differences in our communities. And within our rules and regulations, let's see if there's ways we can address people's concerns that will address them properly, but maybe not necessarily just address the greater good. As we talked about earlier, let's see if there's ways we can do things with a, with a new vision. And I don't know what that new vision will be. I have some thoughts of that. That's not something to share right now. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to start with an un, uh, inherent communication process. And I think people will see too, at some point within our schools, uh, you'll see me out and about at games and I wish people, if they knew who me are, I am by face to say hi and say, hey Donnie, what about this? I, I love talking to people. And with that, I think you're gonna see some town halls that have existed. You know, a lot of school districts, uh, their board of trustees have town halls when they have an issue and whether it's funding for a building or rezoning or whatever might be the case. I think people will see that from us as well, that we're gonna start being um, more publicly centered in being able to, to listen to, to people's thoughts. Now, the next question I have, I'm going to go with some of the research and some of the things I've discussed with coaches prior to asking you the question, but it's, it's the most controversial one. It's the big one that's on the table right now, realignment. Uh, there, is, there is a lot of conversation between what is now the 5A schools, was 4A, what, five years ago, um, maybe maybe longer. I feel like I'm aging myself here. But um, there was a 5A division created, and we're seeing a situation that's being discussed right now where do we take the North schools, potentially move them down to a four, what was a 4A division, so 5A would be a South um, division ultimately, and, and give 4A schools the chance to compete for a true state championship. We're seeing, due to enrollment due to um, competitive edge, competitive balance, we're seeing that 5A schools in Northern Nevada just do not have the ability to win a state championship when it comes to a majority of the sports. I will say Coach Amelli over at Spanish Springs has the ability as a wrestling team to do it. I will say that there are ski teams in Northern Nevada that, no offense to our friends down in the South, have very much a competitive edge because they can hit the slopes more often. Um, and, and there is a variety that can win 5A. But to the baseball coaches that, that a lot of them I will talk to, and they're going to say, we need to stay in the 5A because they think we can compete. 
to them, I say Reno baseball won a state championship over 10 years ago. And that is the last time. Um, I've interviewed, I've told you five football coaches so far. And overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, unequivocally, they have said we need to go down to a 4A so my kids can actually compete. And that has been related to enrollment size, which is not even close to some of the schools in the South. And we talk about the competitive balance. We won't, don't need to name the schools, but there are a couple of schools down in the South that it, they, they're, they're, when you're talking about a 300 pound, five, 300 pound lineman going against, you know, five hundred and seventy five pound lineman, it, it, it makes the game a little bit unfair. Uh, do you want to speak to realignment and possibly what your thoughts are? Because it, it, it is controversial. And, and when I say controversial, it's controversial in the school's own departments athletically. You can have a baseball coach fighting with a football coach, fighting with a wrestling coach, fighting with a softball coach because there's another sport. Softball has won how many state titles in the North recently. They've been doing really well. So it's a case-by-case basis to some, but some say we need to toss everything in one division, keep it simple, keep it equivocal, and go from there. Well, Michael, you just summarized it all very well. I feel like we could just skip right over this question and move on our way. No. Um, yes. Every one of the 51 state associations, every, every executive director would tell you the most single hot topic item, and that's not to say hot topic because it's not an item. It, it's, it's a legitimate process. The most, the most challenging, controversial, in-depth discussion, adversarial is, uh, is realignment. For sure, cross the board. No, no questions asked. Not one of any of the other fifty exec directors would say anything differently. We are to give an update of the here and now. Uh, this twenty two twenty three year will be the final year of the current realignment cycle. It has been a two year realignment cycle. Previously, we used to have four year realignment cycles. Uh, the the board and the realignment committee, and I'll get into those groups and their interactions and what their responsibilities are here in a few minutes. They saw the need to shrink our realignment process from four years to two years for cycles. And that was basically a bad, uh, on the basis of competitive balance. Okay, so we, we, could, we, could talk for, <laughs> we could talk for hours on this. We could have town halls galore and people wouldn't leave. We need to order breakfast, lunch, and dinner to do it. It's kind of where we are right now, the realignment committee. But, um, so let's, let's, go, let's go one, one step at a time here with the realignment process. It is about the membership. And even though every person in this state will have their own unique thoughts and ideas as to where we should go, either all together, sport by sport, um, those people and their thoughts and processes include you, they include me. I've got my own thoughts and opinions. So it's putting everything on the table. We have a realignment committee that represents every league and region and classification in the state. Uh, Those people who serve on the realignment committee are in essence vetted by they're felt their colleagues at each school. So we've got somebody, you're going to represent us so-and-so, person A. Uh, it, it's, it's an intensive committee that knows backgrounds of athletics. The very first thing that the realignment committee has to understand or discuss is what is competitive balance? Is it about having the opportunity for student athletes in a given sport to step out on their playing venue on any given day and say, I've got a chance to compete, possibly win? Or is it about, at the very end all, state championships? Is it about how many North teams in certain sports have won state championships and how many haven't? Is it about how many championships has school A won in a particular sport 
and nobody else has won one of those championships for years. Keep it in mind that School A that might be winning a series of consecutive championships in a particular, from a particular area of state at a particular classification, that those schools that compete against that School A are also the same thing, going, we can't compete against them either. Why would we want somebody in the North to separate out for this sport? They're the same boat we are. Um, I would venture to guess, I'm gonna go long-term first in the background, I would venture to guess the way realignment looks right now, the way it may look for the next two years once we get through this process during this upcoming year, and how it will look probably six years down the road might be drastically different. And realignment is a process that takes a whole lot of time. It took us a whole lot of time to go from four-year cycles to two-year cycles. It took us a whole lot of time to create a fifth classification. It took us a whole lot of time to come up with a rubric point process that assigns point values based on each individual varsity team's performance within a given sport to go, you're a 5A school, 5A class school in this sport and in this sport. And so right now we've advanced <laughs> through you know, 101 years now that we are in the association to, to this point to have sport by sport alignment at the largest enrollment classification. The 1A and 2A do not have sport by sport classification. The 3A North has a core group of schools that are 3A North because they're enrollment protected. We have, we have an enrollment ceiling. We have a block of 3A, 4A, and 5A schools then in the North and the South that are signed to, in the North, either the 3A or the 5A, and in the South, the 3A, 4A, or 5A, if they're not enrollment protected, based on the successes on a sport-by-sport -sport basis. So it took us a long time just to get to rubric points. Now, this goes to your question. What is gonna happen with the 5A current North and those schools that are large enrollment schools that are justified into the 3A based on enrollment. We don't have a 4A in the North. We skipped the classification altogether. And that was really born <clears throat> out of competitive balance in the South to have, we have so many schools in the South, many more than we have in the North at the large enrollment level. They needed a 4A for competitive balance to get them away from the traditional powerhouses in the South on sport by sport basis. A note, that's kind of funny. We have schools in the South that are in the 3A. We have schools that are in the South in the 4A that have some of the largest enrollments. They have larger enrollments than schools that are in the 5A in the South. So that's interesting. So we've got this mix of enrollment. Conversely, in the North, we've got schools that are in the 3A North right now that are not enrollment protected. So it looks like the South and, and they're large school enrollments. You know, we, I, I won't mention any particular schools, but you know, we have schools that are even in the North that are 2,200 that are playing against schools in the North and the 3A that are at 650. That, there's a distinctive there, but yet we've got the membership to agree to use this competitive balance in this rubric. So going forward, we are right smack in the middle right now of the realignment process. And the question about 5A, 4A North, at where it's gonna go, as a collective group, or possibly splitting it out to certain sports in the 4A, certain sports in the 5A, not taking away from the schools that are by rubric scores should be in the 3A also with the other role, just like we have in place right now with the West League and the East League in the, in the, in the 3A, Northern region. Um, do we have a split between the 5A and, and, the, and the 4A in numbers of schools? Um, I, I don't want to tip a hand on maybe what the prevailing feeling is right now amongst the 5A, 3A Northern region athletic administrators and athletic directors because they're, they're, they're voting on things and what they want to do and what they want to present. Ultimately, it has to go to the realignment committee. The realignment committee has a gigantic voice in this thing, but they're the right people that are in the right place because they've been, in essence, chosen and elected by their, their colleagues to be there. But they've got a huge burden on their hands and what, what they're going to do ultimately decide this. 
Uh, ultimately, down the road, then Let, let's say the five A switches the four A or doesn't switch. Maybe it stays in the five A. Is it is it all together? Is it complete sports? Uh, or will there be after that decision is made, and the realignment committee says, "All right, we we appreciate your recommendation. We're going to recommend to the board of control that you go this four A altogether, stay five A altogether, allow for sport by sport differential." You know, Ellie, um, the board of control will ultimately make the final decision as to what the group of schools, who the group of schools is, and where they go. But there is always an appeal process. Uh, will certain coaches in certain sports get together as a coaches association and say, hey, I realize that my administrator and athletic director voted on behalf of our school and voted within the northern region to go to this classification. However, as a coaches association, we want to appeal to the board of control because we want to go to a different classification. Um, I'm going to use your comments so they're not mine. Baseball coaches. Right. I, I, how many of them truly, when it comes down to it, feel like, depending on what happens – if it goes 4A as a group, hey, we want to appeal to go to 5A. Will they be supported by their athletic directors and administrators? I guess we'll find out. Um, you know, wh where, where does it go for, for football? Is that, is that pretty clear that maybe football should change? <laughs> we'll see. But look at cross country. The North, the 5A North just won both the boys and girls team championships, and the individuals won medals equally. So what does that mean? Um, anyway... I'm not avoiding your question, but people need to understand when you're in the middle of the process right now and there are no particular answers as of yet because the process is – it's huge. Uh, it's huge. People have to be patient and find out what happens. And there will be time for our coaches association groups and our schools to have their say once we continue through the process. The next big meeting will uh, in essence take place in the fall as we start to target where you know our listeners primarily are, are 5A, 3A Northern School people, uh, that will happen next. We'll start to target what the real decision is to, and what will be recommended to the realignment committee. And then when we get to the winter time, then we'll have all the rubric points done for all the fall season sports and then the actual action of placing schools or groups of schools into a particular class based on sport or, or all together for a fall season. That's when that decision will be made. So – People, stay tuned. The fall to winter will be gigantic and important meetings with regards to realignment. It's coming up soon. Something that you said that I really got thinking about, um, us both being in Nevada long enough to know how the state runs, There, there is parts of the state where we want to keep the state going the way it's been going for the last few hundred years or a couple of hundred years and keep, keep it uh, going the same way. Then there is the diversity factor of people moving in and things have changed and we've got new ideas and new things. Now, taking that back to the last question I asked you, I love the idea of having committees. I love the idea of getting multiple minds on things. But how do you, as the executive director, keep that from getting too convoluted and keep it from either A, being old boys club where we're keeping status quo over here and we're not taking new opinions because that's the way we've always done it, Versus also, hey, we get it. You've done it in Oregon. You've done it in Michigan. You've done it in Maine that way. But we're Nevada. We have to handle it this way because we have the differences that we do. Right. Uh, great question, Michael. Again, we're, we're a membership, and we have the people that represent their schools and that work as colleagues. And so everything that comes through, and anybody who serves as a committee member, is because they were vetted by their people, and, and they, 
they feel like that's the best person. Whether that person has been around for a new period of time of, hey, we're, we're, we're relatively new to the state and I've got some other ideas or somebody's been around, you know, I'm about ready to retire. I've been here for 28, 29 years and this is what I bring to the table. Uh, you, you'll find our committees probably have quite a mix of that stuff because I think in, within our structure of our leagues and the way they operate their meetings and, and vet people to these different committees, uh, they know who they want to get because they feel like, oh, this is the best person to represent us. So I think inherently you, you see some diversity uh, in those in those committees, that that's, but you know, staggering a little bit here, just because I want to be you know honest and transparent about it. At the same time, there are certainly areas and people that I see that I can tell somebody, a league president, I think this is a good person, or do you want to look at it a little bit differently? You know, do we do we have some new thoughts or ideas out there, or do those new thoughts and ideas not need to be brought forward? Because at the same time, what happens in our state doesn't mean it's the best for Nevada. You know, we, we, used to, we used to have a running joke around here that, hey, if you haven't been to Nevada for at least five years, you need to learn us first. Um, that's not necessarily the case anymore. You know, the, the Reno Sparks area is changing dramatically. We know what the population influx is from the Bay Area or from the Sacramento area or even from Southern California. And there are people who are moving here who have experience in high school sports, and that's great. Um, at the same time, you know, I work with my colleagues in our what we call our Section 7, 8 states. Those are basically the 11 Western states uh, of the Federation umbrella. You know, we, we talk all the time. We, we steal stuff from each other all the time. And, and I mean in terms of policies and thoughts about rules and regulations and revisions and who's doing what, how they're doing it. Um, so so we, we, we get all that, and a lot of that comes from my desk. But the, big, the biggest thing is that understand people who make these decisions are representing the people that they need to because they were chosen by those people to put them in those positions. And to me, that's how membership works. Now we go to what I feel is the second biggest issue of the NIAA. Now, it's not a problem that you guys have because of anything you're personally doing, but it's a problem because we need more contribution. Officials. We need officials like there's no tomorrow. Um, and, and we see the NIAA post about it on their social networks. We see that um, some of the key figures I know um, – Indirectly, directly related, Chris Healy has always been an advocate for officials, uh, being one himself. But, you know, football's right around the corner. Volleyball's right around the corner. Soccer's right around the corner. How do you get people to sign up and get uh, certified to do such a thing um, and entice them to help out what is really needed in this community? Uh, Michael, you're right again. So we got realignment, right? That is the, the number one challenge of any state association within the process of, of their membership. And then we've got number two, which is also the second most challenge, but it, it's not in any way, shape, or form the same as realignment. It's its own entity, uh, and that is officials. There, there was a day when our official numbers were sound as can be. People did it for the love of sport, uh, seeing officiating as an advocation, and they want to give back. That's what it was. That was the basic philosophy. And you know what? They made some decent money along the way, too, working games, spending money. I mean, you're not making a living. None, none of these people are full-time employees for officiating. You, you, you can't do it. There's not that much money involved, and there's not much security involved, and you got to worry about your health and safety You know when you were doing it. So it takes us to today. Um, the official shortage is real, and our commissioners of officials are working with our schools, even right now. Emails are flying out left and right through, through the scheduling platform. We're already seeing a shortage on certain days in certain sports. We're already seeing our commissioners of officials asking the membership, we need you to switch your game to this day because we already right now can forecast we're short. That's scary. 
Games don't happen without officials, even though we all want to say, hey, we'll go call our own fouls. You know, it's like, you know, in the backyard playground days. That doesn't exist. So what, what our officials are doing proactive is social media, a huge push. And maybe people have seen that through, you know, through the NIA's Twitter page or through uh, other officials' organizations' uh, feeds. The media has been tremendous in helping us. The media has gotten out the word. We've had great discussions with our television stations, our radio stations, and our newspapers. So the, the word is getting out that we're a little bit in trouble. And how long we can sustain the numbers we're at right now, I'm not so sure. That's scary. Uh, it's realistically scary. At the same time, I don't see that we're going to just all of a sudden drop sports. So I, here's what I want people to understand. We're trying to find ways to make officials love giving back again. We're trying to figure out ways of how do we allow them to have a, a life-work-family balance and also be able to go, you know what, I can go officiate a game tonight or this afternoon. I can do that and still, and still make it work in my life. Um, we're trying to find a way to, you know what, making sure officials feel like they're compensated fairly when what's, what's average across the board around the country. And right now, Nevada's in a pretty good shape. People don't, may not realize that. Again, you can't go make a living on it. Uh, at the same time, we understand that there are a couple things. One is we have an older group of people who, bless their hearts, have been doing this for a long time. And they're getting older. And they're leaving for that reason. I just can't get up and down the court of the field the way I used to do it. And they know that. And when they're slowing down... Um, health and physicality does become an issue. We've got a group of young new officials that are coming in. And the retention factor of those people is not anywhere where it used to be. People come in and start, you know what, they'd end up officiating probably on average somewhere around 20 years. Uh, right now, I think that average is down to just a couple years. And part of the reason is that they walk out and what they hear from parents and guardians from the stands and possibly for some coaches as well they turn around and go, this isn't worth it. I'm being abused uh, verbally. And once in a great while, we have the really high unfortunate situation where somebody might be abused physically. Now, that, that's a one in a you know, million type situation. But, but people know because people see posts and things happen. So we're, we're in a huge, a huge push right now with our sportsmanship committee and working <coughs> excuse me, through our schools and through our coaches. And we, we've had two major meetings right now. The next one is also coming up in the fall. So our targeting is the sportsmanship committee. How do we relate to our administrative people to say, you've got to take care of your fans. You've got to do it. If that's kicking people out, if that's, if that's us at the NIA level creating an actual regulation to give us authority to address parents and say, that's not acceptable, you're out of here. Um, is it about creating an initiative just to make parents and guardians aware of sportsmanship? Is it about having coaches understand, look, these people are you. Some of these people who are officiating. We're formerly coaches. Instead of they want to be coaches, but for whatever reason they don't have a coaching job, so they're officiating. They're just like you. You've got to treat them with the utmost respect. You you can see the game however you want it, but they see the game how they do by calling the game. You're not calling the game. You're calling the plays. They're they're calling the reactions of the plays. And so we've got to have make an inherent push to understand. We we we've got to find some commonality. Uh, in the way people treat each other with respect. And it sounds so simple, and sadly, it's just not. Um, our schools and our administrators and athletic directors, they've got a, they're going to have a huge task on their hands to work with that. And, but we're going to help lead them there. Um, we're, we're going to have perhaps a new rule and regulation. We're going to have perhaps a, a new initiative. And, you know, how do school people deal with the fans? And we're probably going to have to have some kind of avenue, a course of action, 
for fans to say, look, we're going to promote sports because you need to walk in the door. We're going to hand you something. We're going to make all the announcements we can make. And you know what? Look at the piece of paper. Look and understand what sportsmanship is about from your perspective as a parent and, and cheer on the kids. Cheer on the coaches. Leave the officials out of it. Leave the officials. You call, cheer for the good plays. Don't ridicule anybody for the bad plays. And because the ridicule is typically go to official, like, why did you make that call? You know what? They made the call because that's what they saw. And they're in it for the love of the game. And if you don't like it and you think you can do better, guess what? Step up and do better. So we're going to take a very, from, from the NI's office perspective and as an association and as an overall membership perspective, we're going to take a very heavy hand in sportsmanship coming up because something has to change and it has to change right now or at some point in the near future, we're going to be real in trouble by having a lack of officials. So people stay tuned and just understand, please, you think you can do better? Prove it. I'll challenge anybody right, right now. And the other thing is, if you don't think you can do better and you go, oh, I don't want to be a part of this, then fine. If you don't want to give back to high school sports, especially if you were a former high school athlete or a collegiate athlete possibly, if you don't want to give back, then stop with your attitude. Stop with the negative attitude. We've got to be positive because this really is, as corny as it sounds, this is supposed to be fun. And it's supposed to be fun for our student athletes. And we do hear from our student athletes who come, you know, they'll, they'll tell their coaches and they'll tell their administrators and they'll even tell us, Gosh, I'm embarrassed by my parents' behavior. I'm sorry. That's a huge step. You think about what that kid's got to go back and face mom and dad in a household and go, Mom, Dad, you know what? I'm old enough to get this now. Stop it. You're, you're embarrassing me out there in front of my friends. Now to any, um, any parent out there that may be listening that has a kid in elementary school and has got some free time on their hand or uh, any, any person that's like, Hey, I, you know, I never thought, but maybe I'll do officiating or uh, just just the young buck that's uh, trying to make a little college money and spending money, um, where do they go to try to be an official? Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get everybody pointing in the right direction with our commissioners of officials. For example, around here, we have the Northern Nevada Officials Association. Uh, for those that might end up here in this area in the east, we have the Northeastern Nevada Officials Association. Within each of those general um, organizations we have sport by sport commissioners who represent their sport and get everybody lined up go to niaa.com that's our website niaa.com on the left hand side there's a drop down arrow for officials drop down arrow officials you'll see contact information buttons in there for commissioners rules interpreters though that information exists but first and foremost Call the NIA office. Ask, ask for Jay Beesmeyer. He's, he's uh, our associate director here in the office. He works directly uh, on a day-to-day basis with all our commissioners and officials. Or call me. Call, call Donnie Nelson in the office, and I will get you in, in touch with the, the correct person, you know, depending on what sport you're interested in officiating. So ways to do it by, by contacts through the email or just, just give us a call because we'll never not talk to somebody who says, hey, by the way, I heard you're looking for officials. You know what? I'm interested in being official. What, where do I go to start? How do I get registered and what do I have to do to officially be certified as official? There is a process. It, it is, you know, for people who think officials don't know what they're doing, it, there is a process. This is a serious, it is serious. Uh, you've you've got to get registered. You have to pass a rules test. So we're not sending people out there who don't know what they're doing. Uh, you, you have to purchase your equipment and supplies. And, and a lot of times our, our officials organizations will help do that because they're all trying to attract new officials. So how do we have funding to help people get started with equipment and gear? Um, you know, that happens as well. So it, there, there's ways to do it, but just understand that we, we want people to be serious. And when we put officials out there, the officials are a product. We want to put a, just like, just like 
coaches want to put a good product on the field, represent their school, just like principals want to rep put a good product on the field by having their coaches represent them appropriately. Uh, at the same time, the NIA wants to represent our high school sports and make sure that our coaches and our student-athletes are playing by the most level field, playing field possible. And so we want to put a product of officials out there that are as good as can be. We've touched on all the, the kind of micro topics. Now I'm going to go a little macro here. Being in the job that you are now and being with this association as long as you have, um, what would you say from a Donnie Nelson perspective is the state of the NIAA? Ooh, that's a big question. Uh, I would tell you in today and right here, right now, as a, as a general overall statement, we're very lucky we're in a good place. Right now, we're playing free and clear. That's first and foremost. Um, again, and I know there are thoughts, opinions about what we should be doing, if anything, for student-athletes and health and safety and, and welfare. We, we understand that. But, but we're playing. We're playing like we used to play. Uh, maybe it's a result coming out of the pandemic, but our attendance was the best we've ever had. We set a record this past year. And what I mean by that is it's not the NIA banking a bunch of money. That's mean the NIA is being able to survive financially. We can be solvent. We, we hadn't been for a little while. We've been going the wrong direction. Eh, who knows why? I'm not saying interested in Wayne because, again, my, my argument is that you know, a, a high school is the basis of any community, and I, and I truly believe that. But our interest has gone way back up, and I want to thank all of our family and friends for attending our events and showing support because again, we, we, if, if the organization, even though we're a 501c3 nonprofit, we do not receive any direct state funding. We are a membership organization that survives by via three main revenue platforms, and that is membership dues. Uh, our schools do pay members. And so that's why we, we say we're indirectly state-funded. Obviously, membership dues come from school districts and schools, so we understand. Uh, second, second thing is corporate partnerships. We are always looking for corporate partnerships. We have special award programs that cost us money. And as we look forward to different programs and new programs to benefit our student-athletes, maybe mental health initiatives and things that we have to roll out and, and purchase and work with national organizations to be linked with them, um, we, need, we need financial resources to do it. The third one is postseason ticket revenue. The NI does not collect any revenue from any schools during the regular season. We don't, we don't, that's, that's not what we do. Schools and districts need to survive financially as well in their athletic departments. The postseason revenue is ours because that's how we, that's our third revenue source of how we supply. Um, we, we, we had a good year. I hope we can have a good second year. So that kind of the theme for us moving forward this year is, I'm going to use the word together. You know, and sometimes people use the word together as in team, you know, together everyone achieves more. And so there is some truth to that in just using the first T together because in order for us to continue to progress forward with some of the thoughts and ideas that we have at the board level and through our state level to, to get to benefit our student athletes is what we're here for, we need to have the people um, work together uh, and we need to have people attend events. We need, we need resources and camaraderie within our overall membership to move forward. But we're, we're in a good place today, and I think hopefully uh, you know, through, through my tenure, however long that may last, hopefully for a very long time, because like I said, I, I really truly love high school sports. That's my background. I hope we can achieve additional resources and programs for our student-athletes. One question I uh, meant to ask a little bit earlier, but uh, I think some parents and some coaches are very interested in this one. We did see some shortening of seasons, obviously, during the pandemic, and there was a reason behind that for health and safety protocols. Um, 
but we still haven't seen a full return full return in some sports as far as season lengths are we going to see i remember years ago baseball used to have 24 games here in the north and now it's get 21 are we going to see those return in numbers because um while the seasons have been pushed up a little bit it does feel like some of them have had a little bit of a shortening Yes, uh, Michael, what you're alluding to is, boy, how many years ago was that? And um, I want to say I could be wrong, somewhere between six to ten years ago, where we had a financial crisis within our education system. And that's where I talk about the indirect state funding that the NIA receives. Well, it's because our schools and districts got to a point where there were some true budget issues and the expenditures of, of, of buses and putting on contests had to be changed. Baseball went from 24 to 21. We had other sports that went like basketball, volleyball went from 20 to 18. Seasons got shortened on, on a percentage equal basis. Uh, that was a long time ago. Starting this year, we are full steam ahead for what our seasons are, full lengths of season, just like we were this, you know, this, this past year, the spring. Um, we're, we're, we're there, but that is in relation to where we are here and now. That, that is in relation to where we were six to 10 years ago at those games. When and if we would ever return back to those number of games, that would be something that would have to go through, ultimately, the, the superintendents. Uh, our board of control would make votes on that, but we would need... So, so in order to tell you about the process of how that would happen, we'd have to have a, a principal or a group of schools, uh, league or region commissioners. We'd have to have a proposal come back to our office say, we want to increase game limits. Ultimately, increasing game limits could mean increasing the length of seasons, although I don't know where we would quite go with those at this point. Um, so that has, that's a financial issue, and so that would then go to the membership as a whole. Ultimately, it would go to the Board of Control for a vote to do that, but the superintendents... So if we have, let me backtrack quick, quickly there. We have a Board of Control that is nine voting members, about to be 12, and they represent the regions in, in which they reside. And so they're the voting people of this, of this board. But the superintendents are what we call the legislative commission. They're ultimately in charge of, of everything that we do because we're, we're a bunch of schools that follow under, traditionally how this association was started, under the 17 school districts. Again, Esmeralda not have a high school. Um, so it, it, there would have to be a proposal to do that. We have not seen that proposal yet. I think people are still being very patient with that. And because in the here and now, I think people feel like we're in a good place with our seasons, the way they go. We have conversations all the time in our office. You know, if we extended seasons, where would we go? We, we talk about extending earlier, but you know, we, we have a, a factor of, of heat uh, in, the, in the southern half of the state, and even here in the western part of the state, the eastern part of the state as well, you know, the whole northern area. We do. We have, we have factors. So starting, you know, earlier into July, um, you know, right now this year our heat acclimatization policy starts on August 1st. I think last year, just because of the way the calendar ruled, I think we started on July 31st. But anyway, that's as early as we've ever started. Um, schools aren't in session, you know, until August 8th in the south or August 15th here in the north and August 22nd in the east. So how much do we really want to do before schools are in session? On the other side, we've looked at do we have an overlapping of seasons? We, you know, could we extend the fall season and overlap to more of the winter season? Well, our, our fundamental philosophy in this association as a membership is that we want student-athletes to participate in multiple sports. We, we know that there are sports-specialized students out there. And good for them for whatever reasons. You know, I, I don't know what they're looking for. We don't try and say we want you to get a college scholarship. That, that's not the mission of the NIA. It's, it's about participating at the high school level and realizing we're education-based athletics and activities. So the overlapping of seasons more than what we do right now, for example, like the, like the football championship rolls over, you know, 
in essence, a full competitive week into the or practice week into the wrestling and basketball seasons. I don't think that's something that our schools want to do, especially at the smaller school level. You know, they participate in multiple sports as it is. And we, again, we want to encourage our 5A, 4A, 3A students to also play multiple sports. So then we look at the end of the school year. You know, there are states that finish in June. You know, we finish right now the week before Memorial Day weekend. We used to finish on Memorial Day weekend. So we have, in essence, shortened, shortened the whole calendar year by one week at, at most recently. The, the travel and challenges in Nevada compared to other states about playing championships in either the Reno Sparks area, the Las Vegas Henderson, North Las Vegas area, Memorial Day weekend is unaffordable. Right? Room prices go up to $500 and transportation, running charter buses goes through the roof, plane flights go through the roof. Rooms aren't even available. So that's why we had to make that a change. So if we were going to do something to extend the season to the other end, we'd have to go beyond Memorial Day weekend and move into June. Well, here's the problem we have. Clark County School District finishes its graduation now before Memorial Day. That's incredible. They're out of finals. Uh, so as soon as we finish our state last state championship event on Saturday, the weekend before the Memorial Day weekend, Clark County goes into finals and graduation starting on that next Monday. So that takes care of that week anyway, besides going to Memorial Day weekend. And then the next week, we get into other graduations. And then the third week, we get into graduations of Washoe County. And then the fourth week, we get into graduations of other school districts and smaller enrollment sizes around the state. So all of a sudden now, we've got a month of finals and graduations. And we can't take students out of school to say, we want you. I mean, we already have a problem as it is with AP testing, trying to schedule around those. Um, trying to, as our superintendents have said, we're not taking schools and, and out of school. So then what about, do, do we think about postponing the season for a month? Well, th then you've got kids who have graduated and schools aren't technically responsible for that anymore. How do you hold them true to drug, alcohol, tobacco policy, rule, you know, edu um, academic rules and regulations? And do you really want to have kids trying to practice for a month without any contest? Because at that point, you can't have region championships until all the, all the schools can participate together at the same time. So the reality is that uh, for, the, for the reasons I just mentioned, our calendar is where, where, where it is. And, and, and until somebody else comes up with some creative measures, which we do, we're looking at it all the time, day in and day out. I, I'll, the length of seasons is actually a pretty big, pretty big agenda item for me on a regular basis. Looking how do how do we do this and how do we extend it and where do we go with it? We just haven't found the solution yet. So another thing that I always make sure to come into the office and talk to you about every spring. It's it's a mainstay with me. But uh, the NIAA's Hall of Fame. Uh, you guys just inducted a new class. You actually. I believe inducted two classes because it was uh, pandemic related. We couldn't have uh, couldn't have the typical banquet that you guys have uh, for the Hall of Fame dinners and whatnot. Um, how do we raise awareness of that? Because I feel like uh, when it comes to Nevada's history, there are a lot of proud Nevadans like myself that were born and raised here, but don't always know. Hey, is this guy a Hall of Famer? Is he not? I mean, I was just on your site the other day looking up all the past guys and seeing how many I knew and. I'm not trying to age myself. I'm only 26 here, but I knew almost down to some people in the 80s. So um, how do we raise awareness and let the people know how they can actually, um, with the school, of course, nominate people? Yeah. So we have two award programs that are the top of us. We have other award programs. The two biggest ones we have are what called the top 10 student athletes of the year. And every year we have an application process for those graduating seniors who, who can apply for a $1,000 scholarship, and it's about the athletic successes, the academic successes, and the other successes within a school building about contributing to clubs, serving as student body president, whatever. We, we, we honor that with a with $1,000 scholarship, and that, that's, a, that, that's the most fun program we offer. The, 
The other program that is what you just mentioned, the top 10 Hall of Fame program. If I, I hope I'm not wrong in this, but I'm saying, I think we just had our 28th induction class. And it was uh, basically a very large group because it over, overcame two years. And it was Northern Nevada-based. Now next year we'll have our 29th class and it'll be Southern Nevada-based. So the Hall of Fame is a way of honoring past athletes, coaches, administrators, contributors, and officials. Those are the five categories. Athletes, coaches, administrators, contributors, and officials who for 25 years dedicated their life to high school athletics and activities, giving back in some way, shape, or form. So you've got to be involved for 25 years, first of all, to even be eligible to get to the Hall of Fame. The second part then is we have a, it's an extensive application process and it's also a, a pretty robust selection committee. You know, these are people who represent the past, the present, and the future. And we keep, we keep that committee kind of turning over to keep it fresh for representing those arrows. If people have somebody that they know from the past and they've got stats, facts, figures that think, hey, this person was around for 25 years. They were awesome. They were well-known in our community. Our school remembers them. Our community remembers them. Those are the people we want to get nominated. How you get nominated, go find your athletic secretary, director, or administrator at your school. Tell them, I want to submit somebody for the NIA Hall of Fame. They have the application form. If they don't, they're going to email me, call me, Donnie, I need the form. Happy to do it. Here you go. Um, otherwise, if you want, if somebody wants to find it personally, then you can go to our website, niaa.com. When you go on to niaa.com, there's a button that has uh, forms at the top right side of the homepage. Click on forms. Scroll down on forms and you will see NIA Hall of Fame application. It's in a PDF fillable form so you can just type right on it, save it as a file in a folder, and then attach it in an email. If we don't get it from a school, if we get it directly from a, a family or a friend, we will then vet it to the school to make sure the school endorses it. So every, every application has got to be, has got to be you know, in essence, honored by, by a school. Yes, this person is, was with us this many years, and this is what they contributed. Um, you're, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with this. We don't do a good enough – we don't do the job well enough getting the word out about the Hall of Fame. We don't. We need to do a better job of that. I think in this day of social media now and now the avenues through which we have to do it, uh, we'll, we'll get the word out. And we do actually mention this to our schools in all of our preseason athletic uh, administrator meetings. We, we, we get all the schools together, every league and region, and we talk together at the beginning of the year and go over rules and regulation changes. We actually always do mention about the Hall of Fame. So schools are aware of it. The reality is with you know, the number of people now that really haven't been in a school that long anymore because we're getting some changeover, they don't really remember the, the great people, uh, the, the figures from the past, and they need help. So people that are listening to this are probably going to be happy around the, you know, the Reno Sparks area for 20, 30, 40 years, born and raised here. You're, you people, you're the ones that we need to help us. You, you know these people. You remember them from when you played. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's maybe somebody who's your coach. We need you to nominate these people. Just get the information together. Just get the basic form. We can always just start with a basic form going, I want to, I want to talk about this person and I want to introduce this person. And then we, can, then we can send it to the school and they can work with whoever the nominee, the original nominee is about getting more information about the Hall of Fame inductee. So that's where it is. We need people to help us. I've got a few last questions. We're, we're, we've, you've been very generous with your time. Um, one thing with the NIA, you said a lot of people, especially pandemic time, you know, they had their differing opinions. They, they you know... That they need to do this. They need to do that. Now that's always been the case. When you you've handled uh, media, you've handled uh, or helped at least with transfers, eligibility, all that, all the different 
aspects of the NIA, but something that a lot of people do not realize, and I swear I have to explain this at least five times a year to people. You've got Lori in the office. You've now got Brady in the office, who's directly and indirectly with the NIAA. You've got Jay. You just got Bart to come on, Bart Davis. And then you've got yourself. It's not a 20, 30, 40, 50 man staff that's all making 100 grand a year and just ho hum happy and can do whatever they want. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you help get people not change their perception, but just come to a little bit of a realism that you guys are doing everything you can? Yeah, thank you, Michael. And I hope people don't take this in an incorrect way. This is, a, this is not a complaint. Um, this is a, this is almost um, to the heart about how wonderful I feel about what we accomplish in our office. So we, <laughs> yeah, we have we have the smallest staff uh, of any state association of any fifty one. That's not right, wrong, or different. Uh, when I when I started in April of nineteen ninety eight, we had seventy eight member schools. We now have one hundred twenty three. We have added new sports, skiing. Bowling, boys volleyball, um, flag football. We, we've changed you know, soccer to a different season. So we've also increased our responsibilities of overseeing sports. And there are new sports possibly on the horizon that are going to get proposed. That, that always happens. Uh, we have new rules and regulations that have been amended that are more comprehensive in the way we approach things. We've got a new registration process that we use to register my athlete and parents and you know, thank you. <laughs> thank you for understanding that we have to have that to, for legitimacy of where students attend school. Um, we have a whole lot that has evolved and changed and created some extra work duties. And in my time, in 24 and a half years, we haven't added a single staff member. We haven't necessarily had the financial resources to do it. That's number one. But we've also had the philosophy that, you know what, we, we uh, as a staff members, we have our hands on everything and we're getting it done and we're very proud of what we accomplish. The reality is, and as our board of control knows, because I just introduced it to them in the last board meeting, we need to expand staff. So again, I'm not telling people that, you know, we don't feel sorry for us. That's not what I'm, I'm saying. I just want people to be realistic that we do not have a compliance department. That doesn't exist. You know, we don't have a investigation, investigative team. That doesn't exist. But at the same time, we still do all that stuff. So people need to be patient with us. Sometimes it takes time, and sometimes there are times we need to refer people back to their schools. Uh, our, our goal is to add another staff member or two very soon. Uh, we'll, we'll bring it back to our board of control here in, in, the, in our fall meeting about looking towards expanding in, in, a, in a year. We do, and, and the reason I want to personally is because not that we're still not getting our jobs done, and not that we're afraid to work as hard as we do in all hours of the day and night, and, and I mean, all hours of the early morning to the late night, but, but we know what our jobs do and we, we do it because we love it and we know that our phones don't turn off anytime. Um, but at the same time, seeing where we're going and where we're headed, especially adding these different groups and committees that we need to do to really be better for the student athletes, we need to have more staff to provide better services to our student athletes. And so there, there is that, that is one of the very top things in my philosophy is creating the staff that we need to create because we're way, way behind. Again, I'm not asking for anybody's sympathy. I'm just saying we recognize somehow, some way, our membership and the office staff that represents the membership needs to grow, and we're, we're going to get there. Our second to last question, um, specifically kind of here to northern Nevada, we've seen a ton of 
I'd say over the last five years, you've seen a ton of transition and it's not a bad thing. You just, you're seeing coaches get up there in age. You're seeing athletic directors get up there in age, some administrators as well. And you're kind of seeing a little bit of a new regime come in. I mean, uh, specifically I've been talking to football coaches because that's been on my mind for the last few days. And you look at that sport, uh, you look at a guy like Garrett Hughes over at Reed who got there, I want to say, three, four years ago. He's like the third most tenured football coach now. Um, you, what does it mean to you um, to not only be the new executive director here and you take on that title, but you've also seen the old regime, so it's kind of a transition for you. You're coming into the new title. You're you're loving to deal with the new guys, but you, you're, some of your old friends are getting ready to retire here. Uh, how is it dealing with some of these new coaches and new athletic directors, and how has it been kind of transitioning with some of these athletics? Yeah, Michael, um, in a humorous way, you just made me feel old. I just realized when I said I've been here for 24 and a half years, I went, holy, holy cow, I've been here for 24 and a half years. You know, all the people who were my mentors, not just in the office and going through the executive directors that are here, but really board of control members, um, previous superintendents who I used to know of, and all these tremendous people who really were around as athletic directors and administrators and coaches for a very long time. The reality is those days don't or may not exist anymore. You know, I go back to my father again being an athletic director and a coach of different sports for 37 and a half years at the same school. That's incredible. That's unheard of. And I hope that we have people who still, who especially who are getting the advocation now of being a coach or an athletic director. I wish they would stay for an entire 30 years, but I don't know that that's going to happen. The wear and tear is greater now than ever before. You know, how do you balance out personal life with family life and work life? You know, where's that balance go? So I'm... <laughs> I'm reacting right now to your question, like on the spot. I feel sad. I feel sad that I'm going to be missing a lot of my, my old friends. And they're, they're, they're going, and they're friends. At the same time, I'm very excited because we have a new group of people who are coming in who are, are young and enthusiastic. And I hope they stay that way. I hope they find pure love and joy that when they get to year two, to year five, to year 10, they're still around. And then to year 20, and ultimately to year 30. I hope that happens. I don't know that it will culture and society has changed dramatically. People's attitudes have changed. And that's not being negative. It's just things have changed. Things evolve, right? Societies evolve and thought process and beliefs evolve and interactions evolve. And there are different ways in social media. You know, so a lot of things go into people's psyches of, gosh, can I continue to deal with it? And can I deal with it this way? Uh, from our office's perspective, we need to provide the resources and be the standing board for these new people to give them every opportunity to be successful. And that's number one. But number two is not just to be successful, but to have fun. We've got it. In the day that people find like I'm not having fun anymore, they leave. And they leave in a hurry. And that's not right. That's not what we want to see. That's not what superintendents want to see out of their administrative staff members. That's not what principals want to see out of, out of their staff members. It's not what athletic directors want to see out of their coaches. That's uh, We're in a time of transition. And I don't know if we're to, you know, let's say right here, right now, today. We look at the group of coaches we had. We just did a, just a lump sum of survey of the football coaches in Northern Nevada. And we were to look five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, how many of them will still be here in coaching? That dilutes what you just said. We've just got, we just had a changeover. So the people that are in place right here today, will they still be around in those time frames? The percentages say in a couple of years, yeah, it'll be a very high percentage. Percentages now say in five years, mm, it's not what it used to be. You know, we're probably the retention rate was probably 80 to 90%. I'm just guessing. There's no, you know, I, 
we can get into studies and all that, but it's probably now 75% at best. 10 years, 50% at best. 20 years, probably not even 25%, probably 10%. Maybe, maybe not even one. Um, and I'm not talking about just 5A coaches. I'm talking about 5A, 3A, 2A, 1A. I'm just doing a, a general sampling of a, of a pool of coaches. And probably the same goes for athletic directors too. You know, those percentages are, are changing and they're getting lower. And, and, you know, I wish we could do big studies as to why, but we know why. People are just the inherent nature of being able to smile. And yeah, we all deal with problems. I'm, I'm not saying that people aren't willing to deal with problems anymore and confrontations with whoever. Uh, it's just that people are going, this isn't fun. And that we, we need to change that mentality. And fun is a very weird word. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of cliche. But I, but I use it in my daily work. You know, there, there will be a day in here, I hope not, I hope it's not anytime soon, where I will tell myself and tell my wife and tell my, tell my two daughters, guess what, it's not fun anymore, it's time to go. And I hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. So that's why I understand what your question is and I understand that from what our coaches are facing. And, you know, is there a secret method to go have fun? It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a state of mind. And it's to be able to say, yeah, we can take work home with us. Because we do. We like to say, I'll leave work in the office, you know, when I go home at night. That doesn't happen. Like I said, my phone's on 24 hours a day. And last night, I was texting with an athletic director last night at 1130 after I just got home from Las Vegas after a hearing <laughs> for an eligibility issue. I'm like, no, I'm still talking to me. Like, oh, now it's time to go to bed. <laughs> got to get some sleep because we got to get back after tomorrow. Um, but what I can tell you was I was still having fun because it was a good dialogue. And I think maybe having fun then is having a respect for all the people around you and having respect for the advocation that you perform in doing this. Because education-based athletics and activities is not club sports. It's not college sports. It's not professional sports. You know, we're not hiring and firing people left and right. The NIA doesn't establish that, doesn't hire and fire people. And so if we do it the right way and people can, can understand what their mission is and the jobs they do, then we'll be in good shape. But we need to change, we need to change the trend. We've got to figure out how to do that. Last question here. Now, you've been around, like you said, 24 years before you took this title of executive director. Reflecting on the past, reflecting on the present, and then let's say in a perfect world, when Donnie Nelson decides to hang his cleats up 20 years from now, I'm putting 20 years on it because, you know, I I, I do have to mention this. I I talked to Ernie Howard and I talked to Rob Hummel. I talked to a lot of coaches football-wise lately, but when I talk to baseball coaches, softball coaches, you know, I don't want to put down any other candidate, but they were all very excited when they did hear that you were the head guy um, to be named recently this year. Uh, so you are well-respected among your colleagues. But, you know, you've put, in, you've put in your time. You're looking at where things are now. In a perfect world, where are we seeing the NIA and what changes are we seeing during your tenure? Yeah, uh, provide the best opportunities possible for our student-athletes and provide the resources that may be necessary for our student-athletes and our coaches and our athletic administrators and our school principals and our superintendents. Uh, facilities, that, that's a big thing for us. We're, we don't have a whole lot of money to go rent out arenas in certain parts of the state because they cost a fortune. So we've got to develop public relations and understand that we have some professional organizations now in our state and, and that's not just triple-A baseball here in, you know, in northern Nevada and the southern Nevada. And it's not just the Raiders and professional organization there. And, you know, the Las Vegas, well, I hate the word, say the word aces because I know we have the aces here in our baseball team. And that's like, oh, this is where, you know, the professional women's basketball team. And we've got a hockey organization. You know, Nevada has transitioned unbelievably. Uh, and we have college facilities that are, that are really 
very good, but we don't have that many of them. So how do we establish better relationships with all these organizations to say we want our student athletes to be able to play in this venue? That's our mission is always to provide the absolute first class experiences for our student athletes as possible. Some sports don't have the facilities to do it, and we have to go where we have to go. Some sports have facilities, but we can't get into them because we can't afford them. It's not that easy. Uh, I'm going to start that in very proud of what we accomplished this past year, and that was getting state football championships into Allegiant Stadium. And the reason being is because um, it's, it's never an I, it's a we. We're always a we in this organization, whether it be a staff or our schools. We established a wonderful relationship with, with Las Vegas Raiders. So that's step one. We need to do the same thing with other organizations and to understand that you are now in our community and you got here and our schools are still the fundamental basis of our society in our different communities. You've got to give back and convince them of that and to get to a point where, you know what, I'm, I'm going to brag. The Raiders, and, and I'm, I'm a Bay Area kid, okay? So I, I grew up in the East Bay of California. I used to go to Oakland Raider games all the time. I lived not too far from Oakland. They were my team. You know, they, they moved to Irwindale, right, at one point. And they came back to Oakland, and they broke my heart once. And then now they moved to Las Vegas. Um, what a weird dynamic. Oh, my gosh, they're leaving my Bay Area town. I was an Oakland Raiders fan. But they're in Las Vegas. I'm looking at from what an opportunity we have. And to give credit to the Raiders, they took every expense on themselves. Unheard of. Unheard of. And so... I want our family and friends to know, hey, when we have an organization supporting our student-athletes, be a fan. Be a fan. And if you, you know, your favorite team is somebody else and they play against the Raiders or, you know, or whoever else, but be a fan. So how do we, you know, how do we transition that into the, with the other organizations we do? Uh, yeah, we do, we, we're in good dialogues uh, you know, with, our, with our Reno Aces and, you know, and our Las Vegas Aviators, right? We had state baseball at, at the Aviators ballpark, Las Vegas ballpark. That was awesome. And we made the and, – for the groups that were playing in Las Vegas, we got all three classes in there. That's great. Uh, you know, we've had swimming. Um, you know, at, U at UNLV. You know, we we play basketball at all the events center. So so it's been hard, difficult to, eh, not difficult, not at all. People are, people are great people. It's, it takes time to develop those relationships, and then once we have them, to continue them, it takes a lot of effort. But but that's so that's what it's about. Is why I want sure when student athletes and coaches exit their career, I want them to look back and say, high school sports was my most fun time. Because I generated the memories that will last me a lifetime. That's not going to happen at the collegiate level. And honestly, it may not happen at the club level. That's just a different – I'm not opposed to club sports at all. I mean I participated in club sports when I was a runner back in, back in the day. But there's a different mentality. You know, we, we are what we are within a community for, for a particular reason. So I want those – those are the most important things. Have the memories be very special that someday when, you know, when people are our age, the kids would may hear us now – I mean, my high school sports to me, and I, again, I competed in college here in Nevada. I'm, you know, my high school state track meet and region track meet and state cross country meet and region cross country meets and, and, and played in the North Coast section basketball championships. Man, I, as much as I love competing in Nevada as a cross country and track runner here and all those, those experiences, the high school sports are still my favorites. And I and competed in national championship meets and, as an open runner. Um, high school sports are still my favorite. And then the second part is, again, Finding ways that we know we can support our student athletes and coaches in particular, because they're the ones that are dealing with the issues uh, in life. You know, whether it be mental health, as we alluded to earlier, when when they're said and done, to say, okay, I felt like through every avenue that is associated with the NIAA, I felt supported, and that's what we got to figure out. Thank you so much for the time. Hey, Michael, my pleasure. And getting to Battleborn Preps, thank you for all your coverage. And uh, you know, again, family and friends out there. 
we are available. We're, we're, not, we're not these just these figures. You know, we, we have a face, we have a voice, and we have a presence. So we, we, we value people's thoughts and opinions and support. So thank you. Thanks. We want to thank Donnie Nelson again for that incredible interview, giving us insight into what actually happens at the NIAA's office. Um, obviously, we really would love if you could take anything out of that interview. Um, please, if anybody's interested to sign up with officials, go to NIAA.com. Um, if anybody has any questions about the processes and things, I've always known Donnie and Jay and now Bart and the people at the NIA to have an open door policy. They, they encourage any and all um, questions and comments. Um, I do know that also when the NIA holds their meetings and it's usually, I want to say probably quarterly, there may be more, maybe less. It just depends on uh, the task at hand. But um, those, those meetings do have room for public comment. So feel free if you have an athletic director, if you have um, a local writer or a podcast or a TV station, you, you run into one of us, ask, hey, do you know when the next NIA meeting is? We'll be more than happy to point you in the right direction. But we appreciate that uh, Donnie gave us some background on some of the issues that they're facing, some of the good things that they're doing, and some of the things they're trying to change. So we, we sincerely appreciate him for his time. And hope this gives you a little bit more perspective on what their job is and what they actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, I'm your host, Michael Reeves, and this was the Battleborn Preps Podcast. You've been listening to the Battleborn Preps Podcast. If you're a parent, student, or staff of Northern Nevada High School Sports, you can always trust us with news and info. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Twitter at Battleborn Preps. And for schedules, news, and more info, hit the website at bbpreps.com. See you next time on the Battleborn Preps Podcast. <laughs>